a few days ago was the first day of fall. Can, can somebody tell the weather? Today I went out to ride, and, um, you know, I'm bicycle. That's kind of the way I get rid of stress, uh, which I do have a little bit of every once in a while. Anybody of you ever stress? Right? You got to get rid of it somehow. So I went out to ride, and I had looked at the weather on my iPhone, and it said 90. Well, okay. Seriously, I've ridden when it was a lot hotter, so 90 is not terrible. So I decided, good, 90, I'm going. And I started pedaling, and I started saying to myself, I must not have slept good last night. Because I am really struggling here. And, and I thought, what's up with this? And I thought, well, uh, you know, you have good days and bad days. And so I soldiered on and, and finished my, my little routine. And I get in the car and I looked at the weather, 99. It was like a vampire sitting on my neck, pulling the energy out of me. So I'm glad to be here alive tonight, amen? 99, at the end of September, Jesus, help us, come on. Amen. Say with me, the Lord is my shepherd. Aren't you glad he's your shepherd? Uh, do you believe, if you believe he's your shepherd, give him a hand of praise tonight, can we? Clap unto the Lord. Clap unto the Lord. Amen. We're going to look tonight at verse 3, but as we've done every week, uh, right before you're seated, let's go ahead and quote the 23rd Psalm together. And then we're going to get into verse 3. Are you ready? Everybody read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness, remember those two dogs, goodness and mercy, following along? If you weren't here last week, you don't know what I'm talking about. But let's say it together. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that not powerful? Six verses of power. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you tonight for this incredible psalm. It's your word. You inspired King David to write those words down. You gave it to us, Lord, as a picture of your shepherdhood over our life. Now help us to grasp it tonight, Lord, like we never have before. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And let's look at this tonight. Um, we're looking at verse 3 tonight, um, which is so, well, they're all powerful. Every one of them builds on the other. But let's remember, this is David, a real shepherd, who is talking about um, shepherding. Uh, this, now, he considers himself one of the sheep, but he's uh, talking about real shepherding. So, I, as I've shared with you from the start of this series, you, you really can't understand this psalm unless you understand what a real shepherd deals with, with real sheep. You're just not going to understand it uh, because we tend to Americanize the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? We Americanize it we, because that's all we know is America. So we read the Lord is my shepherd. and We don't have a clue what a real shepherd does or what real sheep are like. So we've got to be told from somebody who was there. So 
Tonight, David makes a statement. He says, he restores my soul. Remember, each, each verse is in two parts. So we deal with those two parts each week. So the first part of verse three is he restores my soul. Can we say that again together? He restores. Amen. How many of you can attest to that? Now, it is helpful to remember that Psalm 23 is written from a shepherd's perspective. David was a shepherd of real sheep before God called him out of shepherding real sheep to shepherding a nation. But I guarantee you what he learned shepherding sheep served him well in shepherding people because we are like sheep. Amen? Now, why is David talking about he restores my soul? Why would David need his soul restored? Why would he write that God is restoring his soul? Now, can I tell you that the minute that you and I are saved, this is really important to remember, on the inside of you, you are instantly reborn, you are fully made alive. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 says, you he made alive. So we have been made alive. Our spirit has been reborn, and it's not going to get more reborn. It's as born as it's going to get. Amen? Because what did he do? He made us alive. He has made us alive. So we went from death to life, from blind to sight, from lost to found, from hell bound to heaven bound. Uh, there was an, from one kingdom to another, from one king to another. And so um, it's important for us to understand the way that we are put together, body, soul, and spirit. So our spirit is immediately reborn the moment we're saved, but our soul is not. Our soul, the Greek word is suke, P-S-U-C-H-E, suke, and that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, all right? Your soul. So you've got a spirit that is immediately reborn, fully reborn, fully made alive, but your soul, it'll take the rest of your life to fully restore your soul, and even then it won't be fully restored because it happens by the renewing of our mind, and it's a life long process. Be not conformed to this world, Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world. Don't act like it. Don't think like it. Don't talk like it. Don't walk like it. Don't adapt their worldview. No, because this world is not our home. Be not conformed, put it into the shape or the mold of this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. How? How does transformation happen for the believer? By the renewing of your mind. Well, what renews your mind? What renews your mind? A New Year's resolution. I was talking to somebody this week, witnessing to them about the Lord. And they were asking me just some some real basic questions. But, you know, I've learned that our, our society, you can't assume that people know what they used to know. So I'm all the time having to go to the basics to talk to people, and I'm, I'm fine with that. That's good. But this person was asking me, how can I discover God's will for my life? And I said, well, part of it is you've got to renew your mind. Well, how do I get my mind renewed? And there's only one way, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God erases old ways of thinking and replaces with new ways of thinking. The Word of God erases and the Word of God replaces. So when I get up in the morning and I open up that Bible, it's not like any other book. It is a totally supernatural book. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, And so it's breathed out of God. It's the only book in the world that's not from the world. Okay? Now, the Bible's like no other book. The the Bible, if you got your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. All right? You're holding in your hand right there an incredible blessing. And, And you're holding in your hand the very supernatural word of God. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are life. Okay, so the way we renew our mind, and this is the way our soul is restored, is by letting the word of God erase and replace the way we think. The way you think about morals, the way you think about ethics, the way you think about marriage, the way you think about people, the way you think about God, what you think about Jesus, what you think about you. Because I guarantee you, when you came to the Lord, you didn't see you the way God sees you. Because God sees you as an incredible, as the old children's song said, great big bundle of potentiality. Remember that song? So David needed his soul restored as much as we do. Now, how many of you want your soul restored? All right, you know how we'll know how bad you really want it, how much you're in the word. If you stay with that word, I've gotten in the place, I didn't used to say this pastoring, I didn't used to be this strong about it, but I'm going to tell you, these days with the depravity and the wickedness and the evil and the total backsliddenness of our culture, I don't know how anybody walks with God that doesn't get in the word every day. You can't afford not to be in the word every day. Now, this person said to me, well, sometimes I just don't get what it's saying. That's okay. Uh, because if you're truly born again, let me quote John. This is totally, I have none of this. I've been going, this is ad-libbing here at the beginning. But, but let me quote John. You have no need that any man teach you. But the same anointing that you have received teaches you, that abides in you, teaches you all things. Now, he's not doing away there with the ministry of the teacher because I'm called to teach and to preach and to reach. That's my calling. It's not doing away with the ministry of the teacher in the church. What it's saying is when you open up that Bible, you have no need that a man must teach you because the same anointing you've received, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, will open it up to you and teach you all things. Say with me, I've got a teacher on the inside. Now, he happens to be the greatest teacher that ever lived. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. Come on. See, I'm going off on my own here. I could almost preach my own message and totally ignore my note. I got to get back to what I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, but I'm going somewhere with this. If we want our souls restored, our minds renewed, and with a renewed mind comes peace, love, joy, not worrying about everything, trusting God, maturity, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. With a renewed mind, it means you're thinking like Jesus, looking at the world like Jesus. And it's the way to a peaceful mind. I don't know about you, but I I want a peaceful mind, right? So you got to renew it. You've got to renew it. You've got to renew your mind. So he restores my soul. 
Now, this is because David was well acquainted with being cast down in his soul. Why did David need it? David knew what it was to be cast down in his soul. David wrote, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? David knew what it was to fail God, to be cast down by his own weaknesses. He knew what it was. He knew what it was to think he had it all together and then make such terrible mistakes that he said, what in the world is wrong with me? I I need my soul restored. So you know who's going to do it? He restores my soul. After a fall, he restores my soul. After a failure, he restores my soul. When I'm cast down on the inside, he restores my soul. If I'm struggling with depression, he restores my soul. If I'm filled with worry and I've got an inclination to being afraid of everything, he restores my soul. He's the restorer. The word of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The psalmist said, David said in another psalm. Now, a cast down soul is an exact parallel to the reality of caring for sheep. Exact parallel. Only those intimately acquainted with sheep and their habits understand the significance of a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. It's an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and can't get up again by itself. That's what cast means. Everybody say cast. So when he says, my soul is cast down within me, when a shepherd says that, a shepherd has something else in mind, not just being down, but he had this whole concept of being cast, of being a cast sheep. Now, this is straight from uh, the, the explanation of a genuine shepherd, Philip Keller. And he says, a cast sheep is a very sad and pathetic sight. It's a sheep that has wandered from the flock and has laid down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground, and in the process, the sheep rolls on its side to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. Panic sets in, and he starts flaying like this. But now he's on his back, and he can't get back up. He begins to paw frantically, unable to right himself. So there he is. He's on his back. He can't roll back over. He's flaying his little legs like this. He is totally at the mercy of now his cast condition. And a predator could come along and finish him off. Or as he lies there struggling, it gets really bad. As he lies there struggling, if a predator doesn't take him, gases begin to build up in his stomach. Soon the blood circulation is cut off from the extremities of the body, especially his little legs. And if the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in just a few hours. Have you ever felt like you were like this spiritually? Help me, Lord. (laughs) That's the picture. Everybody do this. Have you ever been there? I can't get up. I can't get up. I've fallen spiritually and I can't get up. If it's cool outside, he may survive for a few days. But either way, a cast sheep is doomed. He's doomed if he's not rescued. This is why Jesus talked about having the the shepherd with a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray and he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one with a sense of urgency. Why? Because Jesus fully understood the concept of a cast sheep. I got to find that one before he dies in his cast condition. Once the shepherd 
finds the sheep. He immediately rolls the sheep over onto its side. This relieves the pressure of the gases on the stomach. And if she's been there a long time, he'll lift her onto her feet and start rubbing the limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. Eventually, the shepherd would let the sheep start walking on its own where it would often stumble and collapse in a heap, unable yet to go it on its own. But finally, she'd regain her equilibrium and dash off to join the flock, set free from fears and frustrations, given another chance to live a little bit longer. Now, in light of this, the words, he restores my soul, becomes much more meaningful because, folks, as sheep get cast, so do people. So do believers. Remember, a sheep is us. A sheep is us. All we, like sheep, have done what? Gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and that's when you end up getting cast. And there you are. You say, listen, as a pastor, I've watched it happen a hundred times, a hundred times over the years. One of God's sheep wanders away from the church. They get out of fellowship. They get out of prayer. They get out there in the world. They, they don't necessarily intend to, but in wandering, which we are wont to do, we get out there in the world and, 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 and we think we're okay. We think we're tough enough and strong enough. And I've, I've had believers look right at me and say, I don't need church. I've got my own walk with God. And I, and I watch Christian TV on Sunday morning. Well, that's okay, but if you can get to a church where, where there's real human beings there you can touch and talk to, that's better. But, but I've had them say, I don't need church. You know, I, I'm mature now. I, I know the Bible. I know the Lord. And they get out there, and I always say to myself, the day will come when I hear that something has gone down in their life, and they're in a cast condition. I can almost picture them out there. Help me, help me, help me. Right? They're cast. They're cast. And the cast condition for a Christian is so similar to a sheep in that they lie down in some kind of compromising lifestyle where they eventually discover they can't deliver themselves. What was first a choice now has become a necessity. And you're cast. You're you're upside down in your life, and, and you can't get yourself back up. You need somebody stronger than you. You need the Holy Ghost of God. You need Jesus. You you need the master. You need the good shepherd. You you need somebody stronger than you to get you back on your feet because unless you are found, you are cast, and you leave somebody there long enough, and a predator is going to get them. That's why Peter said, watch out, because the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may eat alive. And who does he look for? He looks for the cast sheep. Most of us, though we belong to Christ and desire to be under his control and be led by him, do on occasion find ourselves cast down. Let me ask a question. Tell the truth. We're in church, so you can tell the truth. We're in church, you better tell the truth. No. How many of you can say, there's been a time in my life where I was cast? Come on. I was cast. Amen. We've all been there, right? And we discover that Often, when we're most sure of ourselves, that's when we fall into a cast position, into frustration and futility. This is why Paul said, listen, let him that thinks he stands be careful lest he fall. Because at any given time, that's why I say, stay close to Jesus. Walk tight with Jesus. 
I mean, get tight with Jesus. Every morning, say, good morning, Jesus. Every night, say, good night, Jesus. Thank you for for being my Lord, my Savior, my shepherd. Help me to never get away from you, never wander away. Because in this culture we're in, it doesn't take long at all for the predators to find you. If you leave the flock and you get out there and you lay down in a compromising lifestyle, it doesn't take long before you're cast. And, And unless somebody finds you, you're in real trouble. Unless the shepherd gets you out of that position, you're in real trouble. So let's learn some things from the lesson of the cast sheep. First, like the sheep, we must be careful about looking for a soft spot, a place of ease in which to lie down. See, there's a danger, folks, in always looking for the easy place. I love my recliner. That's the easy place for me. That recliner talks to me. It calls me. Uh, it calls me sometimes in the middle of the night. It says, come, come in here and, and sit in me. And once I'm in that recliner, it says, stay here. Amen? I mean, there's just something about that. Our nature is to look for the place of least resistance. It is to look for the easiest spot. And that's what gets that sheep in trouble. He wanders, and he looks for a soft spot in that grass to lay down. And he lays down in a little hollow place, and that's how he ends up cast, because he's looking for the comfort zone, the place of least hardship. But you know what, folks? The Christian life is one where discipline and hardship are required. Amen? I'm not going to tell you the Christian life is easy. It is not easy. How many of you have realized if you're a believer more than a week, this is not easy? Amen? It's not easy because we're swimming upstream for the rest of our lives. The world's going this way, and we're going this way, and we've got to be so very careful that we don't flow with that world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't flow with this world, but be conformed, or transformed, rather, by the renewing of your mind. So we're going upstream while they're going downstream, but it's so easy for us to look for the place of least resistance, like the sheep, to always look for the soft spot to lie down, and it can detour us away from God's plan because sometimes we equate ease with the blessing of God. But can I tell you sometimes, church, God's blessings don't always bring ease. Let me go further. Here's some meat. Here's some T-bone for you. Sometimes the blessing of God brings pain. Sometimes the best God has brings pain. As a matter of fact, let me take it a little bit further. You and I will never become like Jesus without some pain. Don't shout me down. Don't amen me. We have to edit out all that screaming and shouting there, guys. See, David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now that I've been afflicted, I keep your word. See, pain has a way of getting us tight in there with Jesus because you know what we tend to do? We tend to look for the soft spot and gravitate to the easiest place, and there is where we want to stay until Jesus comes again. But if you notice, God will not let you do that. Christianity is not the easy way out. It's the right way in to God's acceptance. So we, we got to be careful. We don't always look for that, that soft spot. You know, um, we need to accept and embrace and be ready for God telling us, look, I want you. Let me tell you a quick story. The, the first people that I ever taught, I'm going to affectionately say it was a living room full of she-devils. 
These were a little handful of girls who were in a, a place where it was sort of the last stop before prison. And I was asked to teach them in a little Bible study. And this is when I was first all on fire for God. I mean, I was ready to tear up the world. I was burning to preach the word of God. And and it was like God said, really, Jeff? Well, let me just, let me show you what it's like to teach my word in in an atmosphere where it's not really appreciated. Because I'm going to show you what it is to serve me and not results. So I would walk into this living room. It was called the house of faith. And here were these girls. And I would walk in. It was like seven, eight of them sometimes, maybe nine, ten. And the first thing I would be told is, or asked, how long is this going to take? Now, I'm in there with my little guitar. I've learned CG. Uh, I've learned enough to sing, God is so good, he is Lord, and kumbaya. Okay? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a newbie. I am totally green. I have never actually taught a group like this. And, you know, hair down to here and bell-bottom blue jeans. I, I did not know. I'd never done this. And so I walked in. How long is this going to take? And I said, well, I mean, you know, I don't know. And, and imagine me singing God is so good with no backup. God is, I think, good. This is where he's put me. I'm kind of wondering how good he is. God, and I get to the word. Now, one, and, and they would look at me, and they would say, hurry up, there's a show on TV we want to watch. Now, here I am, and I'm, I'm learning how to minister the word of God. I've been doing this my whole life, folks. This is, this, I've been doing this since I was a teenager. I was about 19 at this point. And so I'm trying to share with these girls, thinking, Jesus, help me, please. And they would mock me. They would ridicule me. They'd make fun. I mean, I went through, I went through a fiery initiation into the ministry. One night, I walked out to my car and opened up the door, and water flooded out. Come on, everybody. Oh. Because they had put a hose in my window and turned it on. Yeah. And, and I drove away, and, and look, if anybody was ever going to quit, it was me at this time. But it was like the Lord was saying, hey, Jeff, sometimes my will also brings some pain. Because here's what it's going to do. It's going to put grit in you and steel in you and, 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 and some maturity in you. Because I don't do this for results. I do this in obedience to him. I want his smile. If I've got his smile, then, then this way, whatever it does is fine with me. As long as I've got his smile. All right? So... So if you're looking for the soft spot to lie down, discipleship with Jesus is not the place to find it. Now, he'll give you peace, but he's going to grow you and me up. He's going to get us into maturity, whatever it takes. Amen? Come on, give him a hand of praise. So say with me, don't look for the soft spot. Look for the obedient spot. Now, also, there's the fact of the sheep sometimes having too much wool. Mud, burrs, and other debris can cause the sheep's wool to become matted, weighing him down and making it that much harder to extract himself from a cast condition. Now, did you know that wool in Scripture depicts the old self-life in the Christian? Uh, It is significant to me that no high priest in the Old Testament was ever allowed to wear wool when he entered the Holy of Holies. Wool represents the clinging accumulation of things, of possessions, of worldly ideas and attachments that begin to weigh us down, making it harder to follow Jesus. So a good shepherd will come along and shear 
his sheep. Once their wool has become too long and thick. And our good shepherd does the same thing with you and me. In the same way, he applies the keen cutting edge of his word to shear off the unnecessary wool, the flesh, the fleshly thinking, fleshly ideas, fleshly habits. He shears them off through the word of God. He prunes us, Jesus said in John 15, that we might bear more fruit. Now, if you were to go up to a rose bush that has just been pruned and say, how did that feel? What would the rose bush say? Because you just cut some of its branches off. The rose bush would say, let me tell you, it hurt. But guess what? I'm going to blossom with far more flowers because I was pruned. The same thing with shearing. He will shear some of the unnecessary wool off of our lives. Anybody been getting sheared lately? Some attitudes that you shouldn't have been carrying, some thinking you shouldn't have been carrying, some relationships that maybe you needed to, uh, I don't know, deal with, some, some unnecessary wool. Folks, listen, when Jesus comes into our life, can I tell you, he's going to mess with our stuff. Come on. You're not just getting a ticket to ride one day. Go to heaven when Jesus comes. It's way more than that. When you become his, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm going to prune you that you may bear more fruit. And we say, oh, that sounds cool. That sounds spiritual. Prune away, Jesus. Be careful what you pray for. Because when he prunes, when he shears the sheep, when he shears the wool, it's, it's, it's a process that can hurt. Um, the correction of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord. When he comes in and says, this, this has got to go, this attitude you've been carrying towards people, uh, th- this, victim, this victim attitude you've been carrying, or, or this attitude towards other races, or this attitude towards the opposite gender, or this attitude towards whomever, uh, attitudes towards life, th- this, this pity party you tend to throw, uh, um, this, this feeling sorry for yourself that you go into so easily, that's going to have to go. Clip, 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 clip. He's going to mess with your stuff, whether or not you invite him to. Because you know why? Because he owns us now. We are the sheep of his pasture, and he's marked us with the mark of the cross and with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we are marked. We are his. And when you become his, you are his sheep. And when you're his sheep, he's going to mess with your wool. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I don't like it. I don't like being stretched. I don't like being constantly challenged. It's no fun. You want to say sometimes, Lord, can you just go love somebody else for a while? right? But, but he's going, listen, he has decreed that he's going to make everything that comes into our life work for our good. And what is the good? That we are to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's his decree. So he's going to use everything, every relationship, every job, every person he's allowed into your life. He's going to allow everybody you encounter on I-35 coming to church on a Wednesday night. He's going to use everything, good, bad, ugly, failures, successes. He's going to use it all to shape and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means pruning and shearing unnecessary wool. 
Amen. I'm going to get this CD. You may not, but I'm going to go because this is, I need to hear this. And you know what it feels like? It feels like you're being stretched. It feels like sometimes you can't take anymore. Sometimes you feel like I can't, I can't do this much longer. And then, and then he changes the dial, the temperature setting on the dial and gives us a break, gives us some time. We feed in the pastures. We drink from the still waters. And he says, okay, let's keep moving. A third cause of cast sheep is they simply become too fat. Once they lie down in the soft spot, their weight makes it all the more difficult for them to right themselves and get out of their predicament. So the shepherd will put them on a rigorous ration. He wants the sheep strong, sturdy, and energetic, not fat, flabby, and weak. Now that means our Christian life. See, the application for us Christians is that we too can become spiritually fat and flabby. There are people that go to churches because those churches will never challenge them. They can sit there and get fat and flabby and never worry about being convicted. But it's not God's will that we be fat and flabby spiritually because we won't make it in the long haul if that's what happens to us. We can have a sense of well-being. We can have a sense of self-assurance that is actually dangerous. Jesus warned the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.17 that considered itself rich and in need of nothing that they were actually in great danger. He said, you say you are rich and have need of nothing, but I say to you that you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. They, they had all kinds of material things, so they said, we don't need anything now. But Jesus said, no, no, I don't look at what you have materially. I look at where you are spiritually. And spiritually, you're miserable, wretched, and you are actually poor. You may have a lot of material things, but spiritually, you're poor. You're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be truly rich. And that's talking about the Word of God. I counsel you to get into the Word of God that you may become truly rich. Amen. I'm preaching pretty good tonight. I, I like this. This is why our good shepherd will often place us on a spiritual diet of discipline and hardship to knock some of the excess weight off of our souls and firm us up. God has his own gold gem. Oh, yeah. As the writer of Hebrews said, look at what the writer of Hebrews said. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord when he moves in and begins to chasten you, correct you, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If the Lord loves you, he's going to chasten you. If he doesn't love you, he's going to leave you alone. But he loves you. How many of you can say, I know that I'm his? Raise your hand. I know that I'm his. All right. Can I tell you? Before this year is out, he's going to chasten you. Of course he will. Some of you, just this word I'm sharing tonight is chastening you a little bit. But watch this. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son, every daughter whom he receives. So how does the Lord love us? He loves us by feeding us, taking care of us, providing for us, but he also loves us enough to say, the way you're going is not right. I've got to move in. I've got to correct you. You've got too much wool on your life. I'm going to shear it. You've got these habits. I'm going to prune them away. You need some correction. You need some instruction. You need 
some actual chastening. And so I love you enough to not leave you to yourself. The toughness of life with all of its trials and reversals can only be faced successfully by someone experienced in discipline and hardship. Did you hear me? See, people say, why doesn't God protect me from these things? Why doesn't he just keep me in a nice little bubble till Jesus comes again? Why would he let these things happen to my life? Listen, the Lord allows hardships. The Lord allows difficulties. The Lord allows trials to firm us up. As the old song said, if I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. If God protected me from everything, you know what I would be? I'd be spoiled. I would remain a baby and fat and flabby spiritually. Dog meat for the devil. So he firms us up. He firms us up. He will see to it that his own sheep are fortified in their faith. Everybody give the Lord. In the Lord good. In the Lord good. Now, the second half of verse 3 reads, he leads me. Let's read it together. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, that was about five of you. Let's try that again. Come on, everybody. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, this word, lead. Remember when it says he, he makes me to lie down in pastures of tender grass. He leads me beside the still waters. That word, lead, in the Hebrew language is different from this one. The first one, he leads me beside the still waters, is a beckoning. Come on, come on, come on. Let me beckon you. I'm beckoning you. I'm calling you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me get you to the water. But this word, lead, means he almost forces. He's coming in stronger. Uh, it, it's it's, it's, it's uh, He's prodding you. He's saying, come on. It's like you're taking a dog for a, a walk on the leash, and he decides to stand still and not go anywhere, and you, you pull, you say, come on, we're going. I'm not beckoning you anymore, I'm, we're going. Here, it's more forceful. He's, he's I want to say coercing me, but he's pushing me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. God is saying, for my namesake, you will walk the narrow road. For my name's sake, you will walk the narrow. And if you decide you're not going to walk it, I have ways to get you to agree with me. Amen? Now, now here's the parallel. Here's real sheep. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to their own ways, they will follow the same trails until those trails become ruts. They'll graze the same hills until they turn to wastelands. They'll pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. So no other class of livestock on earth needs more careful handling than sheep. And guess what we are? Sheep. They've got to be moved along. They've got to be guided. They've got to be prodded to keep going to fresh, new places. Can I read that again? That is so good. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a creature of habit. I can so easily get into a rut. Come on, everybody. I can so easily get into a rut. Cindy, you shouldn't have amen me that loud. She's amen to me. 
But how many of you can say, it's so easy for me to get into a rut? Come on. I'm a creature of habit. I mean, really, this is the way we are. And, and, and so God has, to, God has to come along and he has to move us along with, with a little bit of pressure. That's why I pointed out that word lead. He's got to use a little bit of pressure or we ain't moving. We've got to be prodded to keep going to fresh, new places, or we will stagnate and fossilize. There's got to be a predetermined plan of action, a deliberate plan rotation from one grazing ground to another, and that's not talking about other churches. Well, let's go to this church this week and that church the next week. I'm telling you, when I moved to Fort Worth, and I still see it, I've never seen musical chairs like I see here in Fort Worth. People change churches like they change light bulbs. It's just unbelievable. But that's another topic. See, me, I was always committed to my church. Before I was ever a senior pastor, I was committed. Again, that's another message. But the application for the Christian here is that we're inclined to do the very same thing as sheep. We're by nature a stubborn bunch, like Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. Now, that is a stubborn verse. That, that verse is alluding to the stubbornness of sheep. I'm going to go my own way. I, I'm going my way, God. I, you can talk to me all day long about the way you want me to go, but I'm going my way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I think that's the worst song in the world because of what it says. That was Frank's problem. He did it his way. If you're a believer, you don't do it your way. You don't go your way. You go his way, and you do it his way. All we like, every one of us, there's not a person on earth that hadn't done this because we're born with this nature. We go astray. We drift. We walk away from God, from soundness, from reason, from logic, from common sense. We walk away. You know, there's something really even unnerving about the way a human being will push headlong into a stubborn self-destruction. I see it all the time, pastoring. Just as sheep will blindly, habitually, and stupidly follow one another along the same little trails till they become ruts that trap them and cause them to stumble, we human beings cling to the same habits that we have seen ruin other lives. But we cling to the same things. We go the same way. Have you ever noticed this? Do you study people like I do? I study people. I mean, anywhere I go, I study people. And I read about people all the time. Even when we know that the path we're pursuing is not good for us, we will persevere anyway. Even when we know it's not good for us. You ever seen somebody, they're smoking. And I used to smoke. I'm not condemning anybody. I, I was a Marlboro kid. When I was 16, I quit. But I, from 13 to 16, I was, a, I was a chimney. Now watch this. Have you ever seen somebody smoking? They'll say, oh, I know it's bad. I know it's bad while they're pulling a hit. Doesn't it get you when you go to the doctor and, and you're walking into the building and you see nurses outside smoking cigarettes and then they go in to see people with lung cancer. But it doesn't stop us D-U-M-B sheep, because we do D-U-M-B things all the time. 
because that's our nature. The stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient sheep that persists in, in, in pursuing its old paths and grazing on its old polluted ground will end up a bag of bones on ruined land. Look around you at our sick society, insisting on going its own way and forsaking the good shepherd. Our society is self-destructing before our very eyes. Can I just tell you the truth tonight? It's self-destructing before our very eyes. America. If you just step back and look at it objectively, look where it's gone in just 40 to 50 years. Look where it was in the 60s and look where it is now. We have put our seal of approval on perversion. We have called evil good and good evil. We have walked away from God and banned him from the public square. We have allowed children to, to lead adults. Uh, we, we no longer honor um, elders, respect authority. Uh, uh, we have been stripped. Again, if you could go back to the 60s, even to the 50s, and look now, our culture is rushing headlong into self-destruction. The only thing that can stop America, save America at this point, is a genuine God-sent move of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Now, that's what I'm praying for, and that's what our church is committed to, that we're not only going to minister to the people that come here, but we're going to reach this country with the Word of God, with everything that lies within us. But that's the only hope America has. I know that's serious and heavy, but we're in a serious and heavy situation. But the good news is that for the Christian, our good shepherd keeps us on the move. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. This is why Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow me. Amen. Amen. Now, when you pick up that cross and you follow him, you're, you're walking in the path of righteousness. But if we don't daily pick up our cross and follow Jesus in a life of discipleship, we're going to stagnate in our spiritual life. We're going to end up in a rut, not growing, stagnating, fossilizing, not moving forward. So we have to make up our minds that we're going to cooperate with the prodding of the shepherd in order to enjoy fresh pastures, solid growth. How many of you want to experience a fresh touch from God, a fresh move of God? A fresh flow of the Spirit of God. Amen? Well, I guarantee you the shepherd that we have come to and that we're saved by is the shepherd that will always prod us to move along and move down the road, but we've got to cooperate with him. Like Paul said, the grace of God extended to me was not extended in vain. Okay? I, I cooperated with the grace of God. So let me give you some, just a few quick things and then I'm done. Ways that we've got to follow his prodding. First, I've got to love Christ more than myself. I want you to read it with me. I must love Christ. No, let's do it together. Ready? One, two, three. I must love Christ more than myself. You and I love ourselves. Yeah, we're in love with ourselves. That's part of the fallen nature. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. Some of you look in the mirror and sing, there is none like you. Now, you may say, I don't like myself at all, but really, you prefer yourself all the time. You prefer yourself all the time. It's human nature. But listen, if the Lord's prodding, the shepherd's prodding is, 
I must decide to cooperate with him to love him more than myself. That means when I'm faced with a decision, am I going to do what I want or am I going to do what I know he wants for me? That's when I pick up my cross and follow him. The cross is not some sickness you've got. God didn't give you a sickness for your cross. That's not what he meant by that. He means when it's a conflict between your will and his will, you choose his will, and you die to your will. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, not my will, but thine be done. That's the cross. Now, if Jesus had said, not your will, but mine be done, we wouldn't be saved tonight. Jesus had to die to himself to ever go to the cross to die for us. Jesus, let me put it another way, was dead before he was killed. In this respect, dead to himself, dead to his own desires, dead to himself, okay? So we got to love him more than ourselves. Second, we got to be willing to walk alone when necessary. You're going to have to be willing to walk alone. You know why? Because if you stand for him, you're going to end up alone sometimes. Sheep love to be a part of the flock. They love to be accepted. But Jesus pointed out that only a few would find his way acceptable. And to walk with him brings criticism and sarcasm from this world's crowd. And the true disciple of Jesus is willing to pay the price in order to follow the good shepherd and sometimes wind up alone. You got to walk alone. I'm not telling you to go be obnoxious where people, you know, reject you because you're being obnoxious. I'm just saying you take a stand for Jesus, you're going to find yourself alone sometimes. Nobody wants to go that way. So that's the shepherd's prodding. The, shirt, the third shepherd's prodding, I've got to be willing to put, place others above myself. Both sheep and people are naturally self-assertive and self-serving. But Paul said, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another, how everybody, above yourselves. Well, I don't like putting somebody above me. What is the old saying? I'm number one? No, you're not. You're not number one, neither am I. He's number one. Okay? I'm second. Remember that billboard, second? I am second. I'm second. He's first. And so the person who's willing to put others above themselves when necessary is going to be freed from the shackles of personal pride, and you've gone a long way onto new ground with God. The fourth way he prods us In closing, instead of choosing my own way, I am willing to choose to follow in his way, the way he taught me to live. So I'm not going my own way. I'm going his way. When he says, don't go there, I don't go. Where he says, go, I go. When he says, this is best, I accept it. I learned to trust that his way is always best and always superior to my own way. So I learned to say, okay, I don't feel like forgiving this person, but the Lord told me to forgive them. So I'm going to not go my own way. I'm going to go his way. I'm going to go his way. And, and that can, you can extrapolate that into all of life. Whatever your challenge, wherever your challenge to either do it the way your flesh wants you to do it or the way you, the word of God tells you to do it, If you're going to let the shepherd prod you into higher ground, you have to start deciding. All right, 
I'm going to do it his way. His way is the best way, even though it doesn't make sense. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Bless somebody that's cursing me. Are you kidding me? It's not the way we do it in Texas. Right? That's what he says do. Bless those that curse you. How about this one? Do good to those that hate you. Are you kidding me? They hate me. I want to hate them back. They don't like me. I don't like them. They're going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about them. That's not what Jesus says do. Jesus says do good to those who hate you. Now you go, I've got a choice. I can go with my flesh or I can let him prod me to higher ground and I can go with what he says. All right, I'll, I'll figure out a way. I do, I do, listen, can I tell you a secret about me in closing? I do things for people that have turned on me uh, often. I have learned when somebody turns on me, they're all wrong. No, I'm kidding. You know, you can't be in a leadership position and not have, and have everybody like you. They're just not going to do it. When you're in a leadership position, believe me, you, you've, got, you're, you've got arrows front and back and sideways. There's a target on you. But here's what I've learned. When people turn on me and badmouth me, whatever, it happens every once in a while. Here's what I've learned. If I'll just wait, they will experience a need. If I just wait. And and I wait to hear about it because God is faithful to bring it to me. They'll experience a need. And when I learn about their need, I swoop in and I meet the need. And you you know what it does? It breaks that thing. Now, it's not manipulative. I'm not doing it to manipulate. I'm doing it because that's what the Bible says for me to do. Do good to those that hate you. Now, my flesh wants to say, I'm never going to talk to them again, mess with them again. They don't like me. Let them go their own way. But no, if they turn on me, I've, I've done this so many times. I'll, I'll wait patiently and I'll hear they're in trouble somehow. And I will swoop in and in Jesus' name, I will do my best to meet that need. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what it says? Yeah. And so when I do that, my relationship is restored. Let's stand together. Everybody say, do it his way. His way is the best way, even though it doesn't look like it makes much sense. It is the best way. If you enjoyed this tonight, give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Lord.